I was praying about what I should be talking about today because this is the last Sunday of 2020. Can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, I was thinking, do I want to dive straight back into finishing up 1 Corinthians where we've been? Or should I do something that sort of wraps up 2020 and gives us a little bit of a vision looking forward? And what I kind of hit on was thinking about how many parents have said, every day is take your child to work day these days. At least for many, that's true. There are some who are able to get out of the house and go to your office or your job, your hospital, wherever you might work. But for many, it's take your kid to work day. And I got to thinking, what do we want to take with us starting our new year? Because what I've heard is that jobs are difficult and the pandemic has added multiple layers of complexity and difficulty to already difficult jobs. People are more frayed in their emotions. I think they're quicker to become critical or to snap back if something doesn't go their way. People who are dealing with customer service have said that they finish some of their days literally in tears because of the way they've been treated. It's tough. So I thought, what could we do to start our year off on the right foot? I was led, I believe, to Galatians chapter five and the fruit of the spirit. And I got to thinking, shouldn't we be taking the spirit with us into our work? And I think that will make a difference even in those contentious situations and even into those times when we feel like things are escalating, how do we de-escalate them? Well, it's through the Spirit, and we're going to talk about that very specifically today from Galatians chapter 5. So, take the Spirit to work day. I hearkened back to a different time when I saw a guy at work, and it was very clear that he was putting these character traits to work in de-escalating a situation. Let me read these character traits to you. They are found in Galatians 5, and I'm going to read just verses 22 through 25, which is our focus today. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I read that one from the New International Version. So what about this guy that was distributing these kinds of fruits of the Spirit generously? He was using them in a very positive way. <clears throat> I'd spoken about this a couple of years ago. It happened when I met one of our guys from church, Nick, uh, at what was then a McDonald's over near the EMU campus. And at one point during our meal, I noticed that there was one character who started getting very, very loud. He had a long receipt because I had overheard him giving his order, and he was ordering an impossibly difficult order. He had several burgers all of them a little bit different. He kept adding things and subtracting things, and then he would act like he changed his mind, and he would add more onions on this one and take something off of the other one. I thought, I don't know what this guy's got going on, but it's not going to end well. And then after he ate about half his meal, which would have been twice what I would normally eat, 
Then he took that receipt and his meal back up to the counter and started complaining that they didn't get the order right. I had a hunch that he was probably either broke or just wanted to get a free meal. And he was doing this as a ploy because he wanted to complain enough to get his money back. That was my hunch. I don't know if that was the case or not. I wanted to try to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but it was hard to do so because he kept getting louder and louder and using words that people don't normally use in public, or at least not where I come from. And then things went from bad to worse because he started suggesting that the cook who had made that meal had done so and messed it up on purpose just because he was disrespecting him personally. And that's when the cook, who probably needed a little training on how to de-escalate, didn't do the right thing. He came around from behind his station and approached the front counter and started arguing with this young man. Things really went south at that point. I began looking for an exit because I was afraid this was going to turn into a barroom brawl right there at McDonald's, <laughs> but it didn't. Why didn't it? Because the gentle manager stepped out from where he had started to hear what was going on and he didn't approach the counter quickly. He did so very deliberately and slowly with a kind, compassionate look on his face. And he approached the young man and said, what is it that you want? I'm sure that I can help. And he did so with such compassion and with such even tones to the way he spoke that this young man lowered his volume significantly in response, matching the volume of the manager. And because he had been asked a very specific question, he was forced to get himself out of the tirade he had been in just moments earlier. And he said, I want my money back. Problem solved. The manager said, I can do that for you. And he gently reached over and with a look on his face that said, may I have your receipt? The young man handed it to him. The manager then handed it to the cashier and said, would you please hand this money back, the money from this transaction? And the cashier, who was less flustered than before, but still oddly shaken because of that uh, situation he had just been through, tallied up the receipt, made sure that everything matched, took out the cash from the cash register with the correct change, handed it to the manager who then kindly handed it to the man and said, thank you very much, have a good day. And it was amazing. I watched everybody in that restaurant looking at this transaction and the de-escalation that had just taken place. It was like a miracle. <laughs> what was once something that was about to explode just got completely defused. I waited around because I wanted to talk to that manager and tell him how impressed I was by the way he handled that situation. And when I did, he basically just kind of shrugged it off like I was all in a day's work. He told me that he had served in the military and what job he had uh, done there. And he had had to handle several de-escalation types of procedures back then and was obviously very trained in it and was very good at it. But for him, it was no big deal. So I told him to have a good day. And then he said, thank you. And you have a blessed day too. That kind of affirmed for me what I had already assumed. Usually that's kind of a key word there. When somebody says, have a blessed day, we know what that means. It's like a code word that means, yeah, I'm a believer too. <laughs> that tends to be the case with most of the people that I hear using that word. So what I realized was, 
this guy didn't have to run back into the office and consult a manager's manual and turn to escalation. What do I do? What's my next step? He didn't have to do that. Why? Because he took the spirit to work with him every day. Every single day was a day for this guy to take the spirit with him into his job and into whatever contentious circumstances he found himself in. He was exuding the fruit of the spirit, all those character qualities that I read from Galatians 5. And when I saw that, I realized, I think that would be a good New Year's resolution to take the spirit to work every day. And so I would like to hereby proclaim that in 2021, every day for us as believers will be take the spirit to work day. Are you with me? Give me a fist bump. Thank you. Very good. Allow me, if you would, to point out three truths that Paul gives us in Galatians. I say, Paul, uh, I joke about this with some of our elders because we continually have these discussions about who do we think actually wrote Galatians anyway? No, it was Hebrews. One of those New Testament books where Paul was not necessarily the, uh, the person attributed to writing it. The writer of Galatians shows us three truths right here in these uh, verses 22 through 25 of chapter 5. First of all, there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, those who are in Christ have, quote, crucified the flesh and its desires. Sounds a little strange to the uninitiated. We'll look at that, though. Number three, those who are in Christ are, quote, walking in step with the Spirit. Three really interesting truths, and we're going to unpack those in just the next few minutes here. First of all, truth number one, there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. I couldn't help but switch right over to the Sermon on the Mount when I read that as I was praying through and studying through this passage in this past week. And I started realizing that Jesus had already taught about this. It's probably where Paul was getting some of his ideas from. There's a lot of good stories in the words from Jesus in the Bible. But in the New Living Translation, it captures exactly what this writer had in mind, because in some uh, translations, many of them, in fact, it says, if someone compels you or demands that you carry something for them, but it was probably in reference to a Roman law back then that said, if a soldier comes by and conscripts you or demands that you carry their gear, you're supposed to do so. And so I think the NLT got it right there. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Interesting. Now, Jesus did not teach the following. He did not say in the Sermon on the Mount, if a soldier compels you or commands you to carry his gear, you were supposed to say, I'm exercising my religious rights and I'm a peacemaker, not a warmonger. I am a pacifist. I'm a conscientious objector based on my religious preferences. Therefore, I'm going to exercise my religious rights by refusing to carry your gear. Besides, somebody might see me carrying that gear, and it might send the wrong message. They may think that I condone what you stand for, and I don't. We don't read that in the Sermon on the Mount. Instead, Jesus teaches, go the extra mile. In this case, Literally, he says, carry it two miles. Why is that? Because he knew that there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. You can become a victim. 
and you can play the victim card and always act as though everybody's always oppressing you and you're under such persecution from this person or that person, or you can be a volunteer. And when you volunteer and you go beyond what the law requires of you, suddenly you have switched everything around and now you're the one in control of the situation. Now you're demonstrating the kind of fruit of the spirit that we see in Galatians in such a way that people have to say, what's going on? This doesn't normally happen. This person is acting with goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience, and I'm not used to that. I'm used to people complaining every step of the way on that mile that I've told them when they are supposed to carry my gear. Jesus knew that there was something so powerful about the fruit of the Spirit, and it was the kind of weaponry is very different than the kind of gear that those soldiers would ask people to carry. So let me give you a true story about a guy who went not just the extra mile, but miles that he added on to that. I was a poor college student, get out your little violins. And I was living at home, uh, driving four miles to the college where I was attending at the time. This was just before I was married to my bride now 42 plus years. And I got a little job at a tiny town, Cashin, Arizona, west of Phoenix. It was about a 15 minute drive, which means it was about 15 miles west of where I lived. And it was one of those situations where I was just, uh, that car was held together by a wing and a prayer. It kind of reminds me of Rachel Buck's little car. We're praying for your car after that deer accident, by the way, Rachel. But this little car got me there and I'm glad that it did, but I didn't have much gas in the tank either. And so it was one of those times when you pray and say, Lord, I really need to get to choir practice on this Wednesday night. So please get me there and back. And then I promise I'm gonna put $5 in the gas tank tomorrow. I'll do the best I can. Well, he got me all the way to choir practice on Wednesday night. We had a good choir practice. Uh, I had to wear a shirt and tie because I looked so young at that age that people couldn't differentiate between me as the choir director and the kids that I was directing without the tie. So I was dressed fairly nicely. And then I got back to the car, said another little prayer and said, Lord, I sure hope we get home tonight. And I cranked it up, at least it started, but I had only gotten about a mile away from church when sure enough, kaput, kaput, kapah. I pulled off onto the shoulder, got out, locked the car, and thought, well, I gotta hoof it. It was about a two hour walk home from there because it was approximately six miles. And I've timed myself, it's about three miles an hour. So I was ready for the six mile walk unless some kind person were to stop by and pick me up. It was a pretty deserted road and I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but I had only walked five minutes from my car when a very nicely dressed gentleman pulled up next to me, rolled down his passenger side window and spoke to me through that window and said, is that your car back there? I said, yes, it is. He said, well, where are you headed? I said, well, I'm going to go home because my dad has a gas can in our shed and I can ask him to drive me back and we can put some gas in the car. And he goes, oh, well, where is that? And I told him and I could see him calculating in his mind. Well, clearly he was from very close to there, probably within that same town. So maybe only a mile away which means he was gonna add several miles to his trip if he took me there and he goes, no problem. I'm done with church for tonight. I've got nothing else going on right now. I can take you home. I said, oh, I don't wanna put you out. And he goes, it's not a problem, hop in. He looked nice enough. He sounded like he was legit. That was back in the day where people weren't quite as worried about serial killers as they are now because there weren't nearly as many programs on Hulu that talk about those true crime things. Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't watched any of that and I wasn't too concerned about it. And so I hopped in with him. 
You know what he talked about the whole time he was taking me home? He was asking me questions to give me a chance to share what I was doing, where I'd come from, all that kind of stuff. And he was so winsome and kind in the way he did it that what he was doing was looking for an opportunity to build a bridge with me so that he could share his faith with me. And he did so. And it turned out that we were both fellow believers. He was glad to find out that I was a music director, that I was serving the Lord back at that little church in Cashin. He talked about his church and his faith. And it was a wonderful time together. We were brothers in the Lord. But what I realized was that his motive is what Jesus was trying to get at in the Sermon on the Mount. Why do we carry somebody else's pack for another mile beyond what they ask us to? Because suddenly we're in control for the right reasons. We do these things to build bridges relationally so that we can share Christ and demonstrate what Christ really looks like being fleshed out because we are Christ with skin on. The fruit of the Spirit is a real antidote for anger in us against unfair laws. Now, the thing that's different about my experience with that guy is that I didn't demand him. I wasn't a soldier. I didn't have any rights. I couldn't demand him to carry me home. He just did so willingly, which is great. But that's kind of the idea, is that even when laws are unfair, that's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about this uh, fruit of the Spirit. That's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. If we do feel like we're being unfairly treated somehow, even by the law, we can still become a volunteer rather than a victim. Because when we express the character qualities of Jesus and we go beyond what the law requires, there's no law against that. In fact, people shake their heads and wonder, why are you doing that? Truth number two in this passage, those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and its desires. Now, to a newbie from anybody from the outside looking in, reading this for the first time, they would think, yeah, that's really bizarre. Crucified the flesh? What are you talking about? Well, we use the term crucified today as a euphemism. Usually we would say something like, oh, man. That guy should not have tweeted that last thing because he's going to get crucified for that comment, which means harshly criticized. Or if you do something and send the wrong email or say the wrong thing at the, uh, at the office, you could say, oh, he's going to get fired for that. He's going to get crucified. We use it euphemistically. Paul was using it as an analogy, but he was using it to connect with something that had, in fact, really happened, literally, and that was for people who identify with Jesus, who was crucified on the cross. Here's a modern take on this concept from a, a guy named Carl Sandburg, a poet and writer. This is the only thing I've read from his, so I hope I'm not quoting somebody that has a lot of terrible stuff out there, but I like this quote. He says, there is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. That's a humorous way of saying it, but I understand what he's saying. He says, there's this part of me that just wants to get right down into the dirt, and I don't want to do the right things. I'm going to do those things that are muddy, and there's the part of me that really wants to soar with wings of eagles. I think that's a great modern take on the flesh versus the spirit. And that's why we have this spirit character qualities, these traits that we see in Galatians 5, showing us that once we're starting to get transformed by the spirit, he gives us the ability to soar with wings of eagles because he starts to shift our focus. He makes us want to go after the eagle instead of listening to the hippopotamus. 
These are called family traits. I like what one writer said about that because I like this character qualities as being like family traits. Uh, Callie and I were in the kitchen the other day and something happened and we both responded exactly the same way. <laughs> and we do that from time to time. Like some song will be on TV and we'll finish it by drumming the same pattern on the countertop if we're standing next to the countertop and she'll look at me and I'll look at her and say, oh, yeah, we must be related. <laughs> there are certain times when you just feel like, oh, it's undeniable that person is related to that person. Uh, I remember talking with one of our coffee buddies from our Wednesday morning coffee group. I'm looking forward to doing that again one of these days soon. But he was talking about a son that when he met him, he realized that there were so many traits that were so similar. He thought, oh yeah, it's undeniable. He's my son. There were some other people that I've seen that if they stand a certain way, you can look across the room and see a relative. They're standing exactly the same way. Or they might say something with a certain phrase, even with a certain accent, a certain way. And you go, it's undeniable. They belong to that family. Or those two have got to be brothers. Look how much they look alike. So when you see that, those family traits, you go, there's no denying they belong in that family. That's why I think, as believers in Christ, if we start to exude the fruit of the Spirit, it's a family trait. All those are character qualities that if somebody looks at us, they should be able to say, oh, easy to see. They're members of the family of God. They look and act and sound just like the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. The character qualities of Jesus are the family traits of us as believers, if we are a believer. Now, Paul's talking about how that old nature gets crucified with Christ. That's, in a sense, identifying in our lives with what Christ did for us that gave us the opportunity to develop these traits. That part of me died. That's something that a guy named Ken Parker said in his testimony. I was shocked as I read Ken Parker's story, and I'd like to share it with you right now because it's fantastic, and it shows us the power of the Holy Spirit that can transform people from being wallowing with the hippopotamus to being some of those that would soar with the wings of eagles. Ken Parker was a white supremacist. And I don't mean just your run-of-the-mill card-carrying white supremacist. I mean a leader of leaders in the white supremacist movements. He used to march with neo-Nazi groups. And uh, he got there because he served six years in the military. And that started to develop and churn some anger and hatred within him. When he got out of the military, he was searching for a job. And when he noticed that there were some people of color that were getting jobs that he thought he should have gotten, he started developing that hatred even more. And then he joined the KKK and he fueled that hatred even more. And he was working his way up through the ranks. And then when he found out that they weren't militant enough for him, he decided to join a neo-Nazi group. And that's when they started marching in different cities to protest different things, including one protest that turned violent in August of 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. And you may recall that from the news because somebody allegedly drove their car into a crowd of counter protesters and somebody was killed. It was an awful protest and a terrible aftermath. Well, that's Ken Parker. I mean, he was a leader of leaders and everything that motivated him was hate. Two people started to get to know Ken and they started to ask probing questions. One was a documentary maker, a filmmaker, who was asking Ken all kinds of questions. Because in the documentary, 
this filmmaker was trying to get at what made Kin and people like him tick. The other unlikely character that started to get to know Kin was a neighbor of Kin's, a black pastor, Pastor William. Pastor William did something unthinkable. He invited Ken Parker, the neo-Nazi leader, to a barbecue with some of his friends in his neighborhood. <laughs> and then Ken did something unthinkable. He accepted and he showed up at the barbecue and he talked to people and he recognized that they were being kind to him. They were asking questions like he was a real person. They didn't shun him. They didn't shut down the barbecue. They didn't call the police. And after the barbecue, Ken stayed and talked with the pastor, his neighbor, for a long time. And at the end of that discussion, Pastor William invited Ken to church. <laughs> and then, shock of shocks, Ken said, yes, I'd like to come to your church. So he and his fiance got to Pastor William's church the next Sunday and found that there was only one other white person there. So there were three white people, Ken, his fiance, and this other church member, everybody else in the room was black. Not exactly the kind of place that you would normally find Ken Parker. <laughs> well, long story short, at the end of that message, when Pastor William gave the invitation, after preaching about how heaven is not going to have just one race of people, there's going to be people from every tribe and tongue and skin color and background, because God's love is, is, is extended to everybody, and that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and has access to the same power and the same Holy Spirit that anybody else does, Ken Parker went forward, prayed with Pastor William, and gave his heart to Christ. Just a little bit later that summer, in 2017, in the Atlantic Ocean in Florida, he was baptized. That's why Ken could write later, that part of me died, because it was crucified with Christ. Here's the thing about walking in step with the Spirit, as Ken has started to do. When we walk in step with somebody, it slows the pace. It allows for dialogue. It strengthens the relationship. When Joy and I were in Edinburgh and we were doing so much walking in all these historic sites almost every day, I realized it took me a week to figure out that I was constantly out walking my wife who's built a little closer to the ground than I am. I had to slow my pace and match hers so that we could enjoy the dialogue and looking at these things together. That's what Ken Parker started to do once he was baptized and started walking in step with the spirit. He started understanding that in order to be a new creation in Christ, he had to get rid of some stuff because they were co-crucified with Christ, nailed to the cross with Christ, who took those sins on Ken's behalf. So he slowed his pace. He started looking at God's word. He started to get to know Jesus through the gospels. He started hanging out with people like his pastor, William, and others who were on the same journey. Since then, he's been systematically having tattoos removed, offensive tattoos like the huge swastika that he had on his chest. And that's a painful process because it takes laser surgery and sometimes it takes more than one pass to get it right. But he slowed his pace. Also, walking in step with somebody like the Spirit allows for dialogue. Sometimes when we're trying to shout at somebody, we're only having a monologue. We really don't care what they say in response to what we say. But when we're slowing the pace to walk in step with somebody, there's an interchange, an exchange of ideas. I speak and then I listen. You speak, I listen. We go back and forth. 
you're picking up on each other's dialogue and it starts to develop a synergy of ideas. Something develops relationally so that then it strengthens your relationship because of that. All that was happening with Ken Parker because he's walking in step with the spirit once he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Let me give you a real specific example of the de-escalation that can happen when we take the spirit to work with us. It happened to a valet, a valet. That's not where people are dancing on a stage. That's with the B, this is with a V. Valet is simply a very fancy word for somebody who parks cars. And this valet worked for a fancy hotel in a large city. And in that hotel, a guy with his rented automobile used the valet service to park his car. And then he stayed the night in that motel. But when this gentleman woke up the next day and went and handed the number to the valet so that the valet could go get the car for him, he drove the car up and much to the shock and dismay of this customer, he looked up and saw that the front left fender of that rented car was dented and scraped really badly. And before he could really even get angry, the valet immediately started exercising the fruit of the spirit. He started putting on these family traits from Galatians chapter five. First of all, there were three things that he had been trained to do in de-escalating an escalation. He told what he knew. He said, I am terribly sorry about this unfortunate, unfortunate accident. He was very gentle in his tone, but he was very forthright in getting right to the point. He said, we know for a fact that the accident happened right here in our garage last night at 11.35. There's a timestamp on the film that we have in our security camera. The driver of the car that hit your car was driving a blue, a light blue Toyota Corolla. And fortunately, our camera zoomed in tight enough that we have the license plate number of that driver. The driver sped off and left the scene. But then the valet said the second thing. He told what had been done already. He said, we have already filed a claim with our loss prevention team. Fortunately, we have two eyewitnesses. They have each verified what has happened and we have their witness reports in our report. We have filed that report with the local police department. And then the customer started to ask one more question about, well, what needs to be done next? And rather than to jump in and say, oh, I've already taken care of that, the valet was kind enough to show patience. And so he waited patiently and kindly until it was the right time to speak. All these things that are the fruit of the spirit. And then he was able to get to the third thing, which was he answered the man's question by saying, here's what you need to do next. Both our uh, team that we've spoken with and the local police department have told us that you're going to also need to file a claim that's so that everything matches, the reports match with what we did. And then you need to contact your insurance company, or in your case, if you took out insurance through uh, your rental agency, you need to contact that particular insurance company. They, in fact, will then get the reports from us, and then the insurance company will go after the driver for the damages. And he said, again, I'm just so sorry for this inconvenience. I wish I could roll back time and do something differently so this wouldn't have happened to you. And I know this really doesn't make your day much better, but hopefully this will be behind you soon. And here's my number at the bottom of the report. I've copied everything that we talked about so that you have a copy of everything. Don't hesitate to call me if you need anything. Well, the man had his problem solved. He knew what to do next. He knew that everything that needed to be done had already been done. 
And so he really couldn't escalate much further than that. It was kind of like that manager back at the McDonald's. As soon as we know that our problem has been solved, there's nothing else to complain about. And so he thanked the young man for doing all of his duties, for doing the job well, and he went about his business. Here's the thing. I think that if all of us as believers took the spirit to work with us, we could be examples to other people around us of this kind of family character traits that should be a part of our everyday lives. And when people see us behaving that way, I think it's going to make a difference on so many levels. Can you imagine working for a boss that has these kinds of family traits? That'd be the kind of boss that I think every employee would hope to work for. <laughs> if I was an employee and if I had a boss that saw me working differently than other employees there. I'd want to be that exemplary employee so that the boss would say, what makes you a standout? I wish I had 17 more employees just like you working under me. That's the kind of stuff that can happen. Why? Because we de-escalate uh, de situations that are starting to grow into what could become explosive situations. We can diffuse bombs ready to blow relationally. We foster a higher morale, we get productivity that goes through the roof because people are so much more productive when they know that what they're doing matters and that people appreciate what we're doing. All of that enters into the workplace in such a way that the fruit of the spirit makes for a really productive employee. I think that if we were to say every day in 2021 is gonna be take the spirit to work day, then we could use the fruit of the spirit as weapons, but not the kinds of weapons the world shows us not like in a drive-by fruiting, or not like the kinds of weapons that a soldier back in Palestine would ask us to carry for him if he demanded us to carry it one mile. The kind of weapons I'm talking about are subtle weapons, the kinds of specifically designed weapons that somebody on a bomb squad could use to disarm an ordinance before it explodes. I'd started working on this particular illustration even before I got the word yesterday about what had happened on Christmas morning in Nashville, Tennessee. We're praying for Nashville and the people there. Grateful that there was not a huge loss of life, but oh my goodness, what a crazy situation. It just points out to me that our world is escalating. The whole world is in a huge, gigantic escalation and we're watching it happen before our eyes. And because of the pandemic and because of an election year, we've seen escalations like we've never seen before. But if you apply these same three de-escalation techniques or questions to what's going on, and if we apply these character qualities that we're looking at in Galatians 5, I'll tell you what happened, sin. We're living in a fallen world. Sin happened. And when sin enters the equation, people escalate. And evil happens, unfortunately. Well, what has been done about it? Jesus Christ has been done about it. Jesus Christ came to earth. That's what we just celebrated in Christmas. He came as an incarnation to show us. He was the show and tell about God's goodness and love and perfect justice because love and justice both came together on the cross. That's what's been done about it. Christ made a way for us to be reconciled with God to de-escalate the conflict that goes on inside each of us. Because for the person who's struggling with, what is my purpose in life? Do I have a purpose? Have I really come to earth here for some good reason? Or am I just here to survive? Survival of the fittest? 
was all this just a random random chance? Have I just evolved into this? And if so, what purpose is there, especially when things start getting bad? Well, what's been done about it is that Jesus came to show us that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He loved you enough to die in your place, and he desires a relationship with you so that you can walk in step with his spirit. And by the way, when you accept Christ as your savior, you get the spirit thrown in for free. <laughs> He'll throw that spirit right in there because it comes in as a seal of that transaction that happened on the cross. It's a, a promise. It's almost like the seal that you get that shows that somebody has the authority to do so. That's what it gives you through the Holy Spirit. And it's a down payment on all the good things that are to come after that. You get all that through the Holy Spirit, and he starts to transform you by getting rid of the hippopotamus in you and getting you toward the eagle so you can soar. So what still needs to be done in this massive escalation in the world? Every individual has a choice to make. Do I accept Jesus Christ for being the son of God that he claimed to be and that everybody else proves that he is because of eyewitness reports? And do I accept his Holy Spirit into my life so that he can transform me and give me the family traits so I can look like I belong in the family of God? That's what needs to be done. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen with everybody on the earth because many people are going to reject Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to continue to see more escalation on the planet, unfortunately. But for everybody who accepts Jesus Christ, there is a de-escalation that happens inside each of us. There's something powerful that happens so that we can then take the Spirit to work with us, and we start to transform the atmosphere of every place that we inhabit because the Holy Spirit goes there with us and starts to flesh out the fruit of the Spirit, these character qualities that we see in Galatians chapter 5. Have you done that? Have you invited Jesus Christ to give you the family traits that we've talked about? We know that trying to do it in our own strength won't do it. Trying to ignore the hippo inside of us won't work. We need the power that only Jesus can give, and he offers it freely. By his divine power, says 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Are you sensing that call right now? Are you sensing that the Holy Spirit is whispering to you and saying, that's what's missing? You may think of yourself as a good person. Other persons may look at you and see the good you're doing, and they think of you as a good person, but you know what's in your own heart. And you know that it can only be somebody like a savior to fix the brokenness that's in our world today. If you're sensing that, take a step and accept Jesus Christ. Ask him to come into your heart through the Holy Spirit, which he will plant right into your mind. And then he'll start giving you those character traits in Galatians 5. And you'll start to look more and more and more like you belong to the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray that more and more people will hear this kind of message. And they'll understand that the escalation we see all around us is going to continue to happen for all who are outside of Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, 
you've given us something supernatural, something so powerful that it's impossible to completely explain apart from just saying, you just have to taste and see that the Lord is really that good. And I pray that people will respond to the drawing of your Holy Spirit, that they will allow you to transform them just like you did for Ken Parker and countless others who used to live one way and then they repented and turned and went completely back the opposite direction and started following you, walking in step with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that people will start doing that more and more so that we can see that transforming influence at work every day in the year 2021. These things I pray in Jesus' name. 